Welcome back to Price Ball, gentlemen. It's been about 50 episodes since we had the both of you on. I'm talking about Raza Bashir of Iovate and MuscleTech, the Vice President of Scientific Affairs and Product Innovation, and then Modern Day Renaissance Man, Sean Wells of uh, NMB Nutrition and Genius Ingredients and probably a zillion other things I'm missing. Uh, guys, welcome back. Today, we are mostly going to talk about MuscleTech's peptide 185, dilucine right here. Um, and then I want to circle back on paraxanthine. It's been a year and a half since we, we came out and you introduced Infinity Paraxanthine to us in the MuscleTech Euphoric Pre-Workout and Burn IQ series. So welcome back on. Um, everyone could go back to episode 72 for some of the introductions to Raza especially, but let's get let's get a little bit caught up. Uh, Raza, you go first. Tell us what's been going on at MuscleTech and then let's get into, uh, talk to Sean a little bit and let's get into peptide 185. You got it. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks for having me here. Uh, always love being on the show, being able to talk shop, talk innovation. We've been busy. You know, we've been extremely busy, you know, looking at the latest and greatest. And, you know, I'm sure you've been hearing people talking a lot about peptides in general. It's been a tremendous amount of buzz in the industry. And we're super excited uh, to actually be out there now. Talk about, you know, what we've been doing on this front, on the dietary supplement front. Right, something that's actually compliant that you can safely buy um, and, and get out there. So that's one of the biggest things that we've been working on. You know, again, uh, partnering with the best. That's why uh, Sean's on here as well. Uh, we're back at it again. You know, essentially though, we had uh, you know we're taking off right where we left off. Great science-backed innovation. I mean, that's what at Muscle Tech. That's what we stand for. I mean, I mean, I've got these great resources. I'm in this building. And, uh, you know, we want to make sure we have strongest science ingredients that are actually going to give people results. I mean, that's why we do it, right? We want to make it accessible, make sure people are going to, um, you know, get the results that they expect and uh, get the word out there. So the new, latest and greatest, Peptide 185. So, you know, super excited to kind of get into that. Um, if you guys like, I'll just jump right into it. Where do you want to, where do you want to start? To the science? Should we just get right into it? Yeah, what is pe so? It's peptide one eight five, not one eighty five. Peptide one eight five, yeah. And you know, there's a lot of a lot of great minds that come that came to you know. So obviously, there was working with the ingenious ingredients team. There was you know our creative, our brilliant marketers. You know, my team, um, and this and this certainly evolved. So peptide one eight five, which contains DL one eight five, which is dilucine, right? So it's peptide uh, two leucine molecules bonded together which is what makes this, you know, extraordinary and, and different from anything that's ever been available. So this did not exist. This is something that, you know, we basically launched uh, in conjunction with Sean's team at Ingenious Ingredients. Uh, you know, we've been talking about it for a while. The reason why we firmly believed in it and got excited about it was, well, we talk about the anabolic stimulus and what drives muscle building, strength and recovery. We've always talked about, you know, the building blocks of, of your muscle being amino acids. And then within that, you know, you go back to really, you know, the type of sort of sports nutrition 101, it always came down to leucine, right? Like what's turning on the signaling? How, how, how does it work? What happens if you remove leucine and not too much? You know, that's what we, we kind of understand. Uh, but the, you know, the uniqueness of this is the peptide element. And it's also what we kind of brought into the name of the product. And again, it was us kind of all putting our heads together. You know, we were talking about the speed, you know, Sean and the team you know, kept talking about what makes this unique, right? And really it came down to the pharmacokinetics of this, of this peptide. 
the speed, the 185% greater uptake that you see with peptides because your body has uh, its own, uh, you know, essentially uh, transporters specifically in the gut for peptides. So that's kind of how the kind of the name came about. And then from there, the team designed some great science. Um, and, you know, I think they looked at, we looked at, you know, they looked initially, they looked at muscle protein synthesis, saw some really, really, really uh, remarkable results. And that's where it kind of all starts because we think with the mechanism, right? The mechanism for putting on muscle and strength, it all comes down to, you know, activating mTOR C1 and the downstream effect of that, right, is, is muscle protein synthesis. And then consistently doing that over time, you know, can lead to, to grow, growth and strength gains. Um, so they saw some really impressive data. Uh, in fact, 159% greater uh, muscle protein synthesis. So just really, really remarkable stuff. And then from there, the team scaled and went to a strength training study. Um, and, and that's what kind of matters, right? Like we want to talk about muscle protein synthesis, but what actually happens when you, when you actually go and put it to the test in a 10-week study? Um, so it, uh, you know, what they were able to show was really impressive strength gains. You know, really, really impressive gains. The study's not published just yet. I'll give you a bit of a teaser what we're seeing, though, what we were seeing, you know, in both the muscle bench press, uh, sorry, the bench press, as well as leg press, you know, two to three X in terms of strength gains, which are really, really impressive. I think in, in the leg press, it was up to like 88 pounds heavier, you know, after after 10 weeks. And they're also getting more reps. So um, really exciting stuff, though. And, uh, you know, that's that's kind of what we've been kind of working on behind the scenes. But there's a lot more to get into as we dig in, you know, deep dive into the science for sure. Sean, do you have anything to add there? I, I, I have plenty of questions and everything. Unless, <laughs> let's get a quick, the quick well, Sean first breakdown. Off, my name is Sean Wells. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, just kidding. Uh, no, it's been a, it's been an honor to to work with uh, with Raza. As you know, like we've been excited to launch our unique ingredients with Muscle Tech first and foremost, and and that's been a, an incredible collaboration with their team when we did the Infinity Parazanthine. Uh, in the IQ series, and now was with us doing uh, this dilucine uh, with peptide 185, 185, sorry, uh, <laughs> with muscle tech. It, it's been tremendous. Um, what we're seeing is, you know, it was about 12 years ago I started working on this idea of peptides going through this PEPT1 transporter and preferentially being taken up. It seems so like I really want to spend a minute here because it seems counterintuitive. Right. And I remember reading this data and just being like, well, this, this is crazy. Like what, how does this work? That a single amino acid is slower to plasma than a di or tripeptide. These dying, certain dying tripeptides can go through this PEPT1 transporter and get to plasma faster. As Raza pointed out, it's, you know, close to 200% faster. It's getting there. Also, what we know with leucine is there's an, a, there's a refractory effect, right? Where it's not a matter of how much you take. If I take 20 grams of leucine, I don't get more muscle protein synthesis. If I take leucine all day long by drinking it out of a jug, you know, like guys used to do, I don't get more muscle protein synthesis. What you need is a spike. And about 10 or 12 years ago, Dr. Gabe Wilson and I presented at the uh, ISSN, their annual event, 
And we were talking about the idea of leucine resistance or anabolic resistance. And I believe this is tied to androgens getting lower as you get older, insulin sensitivity, and potentially some other factors. Because if we were to get someone on metformin and testosterone and whatever, we'd probably see that leucine resistance or anabolic resistance drop, certainly if they're doing a resistance training on top of all that. You know, maybe growth hormone could be another thing we'd throw in there. So all of this is interesting that it's about the speed and how quickly it gets to plasma. As Raza uh, was talking about with uh, pharmacokinetics is how quickly can it spike because it's a signaling pathway. It's not a substrate pathway, right? Leucine will contribute to the, the BCAA like muscle pool and, and a fair amount. I think it's around 50% of muscle is BCAAs. And obviously some of that is, is leucine at that two to one to one ratio. That's where we came up with that. That's the ratio it occurs at in muscle. But that's just substrate. So the signaling that, that Raza was talking about with the, the mTORC1 pathway, that's when we're turning on muscle protein synthesis. And then net muscle accretion is a matter of weighing these scales, which we could talk about you know, the anti-catabolic tool that they already have with clear muscle with HMB-free acid, um, inhibiting muscle protein breakdown. And then on the other side of that scale, we have muscle protein synthesis with leucine traditionally. But my thought was when I was looking at this is like, okay, this, and you know, and people always ask me, we, you guys asked me last time with the parazanthine, like, how'd you come up with this if it seems so obvious? I feel like this is going to be the same thing, Ben and Mike. People are going to say, whoa, this is so obvious. And still, that's where some of the best inventions come. I mean, when I was looking at that data about this PEPT1 transporter, I'm like, okay, thinking of those two things, because I had just presented the ISSN. I'm like, okay, so there's leucine resistance, especially as we age. And it's about the speed and not how much. And okay, there's a PEPT1 transporter. Okay. And what if I have a dilucine or a trilucine? Does that somehow work better than leucine? And then we did this preliminary study and we're like, holy crap, it does. And by the way, we did test trilucine and it really didn't have much effect at all. So just so you know, that's why we landed on, on dilucine in particular. Thank you. Okay. Well, yeah, that's real interesting because my initial question off the bat was like, why don't we just take tons and tons of leucine? And it almost sounds a little bit sim similar to the whole HMB story where only like 5% of leucine is getting metabolized into HMB, a best case scenario and everything. Why not just eat a ton of leucine? But you'd have to like get like over 300 grams of protein to make like the numbers make sense. And we had Sean Bayer on the on the podcast, kind of talking about that. And I know Muscle Tech's well involved as well. But um, so is it? So is that the answer right there? Is like I could, if I just take tons and tons and tons of leucine, it's still not just it doesn't. It doesn't. If you take more leucine, you could take five grams, ten grams. You're not going to get the the effect. Not even close to the effect of dilucine. Here's something else I want to tell you guys that I've told Raza, but we haven't really told the world and we need kind of more data around this, but it will pique your interest is that 
dilucine, you know that it showed up intact in plasma. I saw your write-up that you guys did, right? Something else that's interesting is leucine, when administered, yields some dilucine. So this is very interesting of why that's happening. What if muscle protein synthesis, the signal is not leucine? It's never been looked at before. What if mm. it's dilucine? Interesting. Yeah. So um, it was Dr. Ralph Yeager who first teased this on our podcast. That was uh, episode 78. And so he said, like, I like what he said because he's like, the body is basically lazy. You know, it's not going to go out of its way to do all this metabolic work unless it has to. That's yeah. why the body likes creatine. It's hard to make creatine endogenously. You give it some creatine through meat or supplementation, it's going to have time to do other stuff. Similarly, the body's lazy. Why? And so why is it going out of its way to form a dipeptide out of a single amino acid leucine that, um, so like that, that alone kind of tells me just the bro science in me, like there's gotta be an extra reason. Otherwise the body probably wouldn't be doing this. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's about the pharmacokinetics, right? That's, that's the difference maker here versus taking more. And, you know, case in point, I always like to keep a little bit of props, but going back a little way. <laughs> yes. Uh, Let the record you know, show. He, he, you're, you're holding up Lukic, right? I'm holding Lukic. So this is going way, way back. Uh, and again, this is, you know, I'm, I'm always proud looking back when, we, when we, we did some of these things. This was 7.2 grams of leucine back then with keto off isopropic acid. The kit component, you had to take six tablets. Before we knew about this, right? Before this was available when, you know, you could take significantly less, you know, work smarter, get and, and, and get better results. Um, so although I'm proud we had that, I will say now, you know, based on what we know, having this separate, um, you know, transporter for peptides, you know, that is the difference maker where, you know, we really believe people are going to get better results. And when you say results, like, so are we, when muscle tech talks results, what are you talking about? Is it generally muscle? It's like, we're talking muscle and performance, right? Or are we yeah, that's, like, that's exactly, we're always on the lookout for, you know, how can we help, you know, consumers, you know, more muscle, more strength, you know, in some cases more libido, but uh, ultimately how can they get the better performance, uh, you know, reach, reach really their, their personal bests. Right. And uh, I'd say let, let people reach their, you know, ultimate goals and everything from their physique but also from their strength. Um, mm -hmm. I think more and more when we talk about muscle, it's ta we're talking about you know, also strength, right? Being dialed into your physical health um, as well. So yeah, that's, that's a key part of what we're, we're looking to do. Okay, so give, given that we're, we're, so we're kind of positioning this more like a signaling molecule. So like uh, a lot of times we drink our amino acids during workout, post-workout and everything, or like if you're doing cardio fasted, it seems like if you're using this for signaling purposes, are you going to have a different strategy for taking it? And um, three capsules here provides two grams. So, like, what what do you suggest? How how do we use it? <laughs> long, story, long question short. Yeah, so for so that's right. So it's three capsules gives you the full two grams dose, uh, which lines up with the clinical research that uh, has been done by by Sean and the team. And specifically, the way it's been studied and the way we recommend is um, you know really around your workout and ideally post-workout. So when you exercise, right, for that 24 to 48 hours, usually am amplifying muscle protein synthesis, taking this on top of that is going to amplify it further. And then on the days you don't train uh, first thing in the morning, and, and, and I also think that's always just a great, you know, sandwiching your day, 
you know, with protein or amino acids is like the ideal book, bookmark your day, better chance that you're going to, you're going to get either that protein or that, uh, get your protein requirements or the amount of amino acids, um, in your blood. So, and, and we already know that leucine itself heightens the effect of, of protein and magnifies the effect. Like the studies that, um, speaking of, of Dr. Wilson, uh, Gabe Wilson and Lane Norton did with the, uh, vegan protein, right. Where they saw the 25 grams of vegan protein, the wheat protein, I believe versus the whey protein, there is a 1.7 gram leucine difference. And when they gave that additional leucine, it hit the same level of muscle protein synthesis. So suffice it to say, this is, this is going to amplify your protein because not all proteins are created equal. So, you know, you may be having 25 grams of a bolus, uh, you know, at a meal, but you may not be optimizing muscle protein synthesis. So, you know, that's uh, when uh, Raza talks about that, like first thing in the morning or post-workout, you know, not only is it signaling there, but you're really amplifying your protein so that you're optimizing that. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. And, you know, there was some recent data that came out showing that there's not really a ceiling on the amount of protein. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, originally, it's right, as, as people originally thought. So I think, you know, 30 to 50, you know, no problem. But, you know, for those of that don't want to necessarily take that much. I, I think, yeah, taking, you know, dilucine, the, the DL185, peptide 185 at the same time as your protein is an ideal, mm -hmm. uh, ideal recommendation. So before Sean was talking about the refractory nature of leucine or protein in general and how it, you, there are doses of it throughout the day, if, we, if we're talking about like a lot of the listeners to this podcast pro have a relatively clean diet and they are eating high protein already, like for someone who doesn't have maybe some meals that are lower quality in protein, like is there an optimization level? Because you obviously don't want to take this too close to like a fully dosed leucine meal. Is it like post-workout, maybe after you – it's been a few hours since the meal? I, I, I mean, specifically for this ingredient, I mean, I don't think we've had, we've got that data precisely. Um, I think so lining up, at least in what we've seen post-workout, I'd say, uh, immediately post-workout and you know, probably like 30 to 45 minutes before a meal might be kind of the sweet spot. Just, just thinking about some of the literature on leucine, but I don't know, Sean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, going back to PK, Ben, like I think like, yes, post-workout, but pre-meal, Right. Mm -hmm. So we want it to not affect the PK, right? Because that's the whole point. So if you were to take it with a meal, I'm sure it would still be effective, but, and this is all theoretical, but I don't believe it would be quite as effective. Um, yes, it's a dipeptide. Yes, the transporter may see it, but there's still like gastric emptying and, you know, natural GI transit and all that kind of stuff, the peristalsis. And, you know, it's not going to be quite the same. So I probably would not uh, take it with a meal, but, you know, have a meal shortly thereafter. So when you're when you're developing. OK, so the, the, the question is going to be. What if I'm filthy rich? Does it make sense to do four grams or six grams or whatever? And so, like, and and the the real question is like, when you're developing an ingredient, how do you start to land on some of these doses? Like, where did two grams come from, and can I do more? I don't. Yeah, I mean, that's where we as a team landed. Um, we wanted it to be lower than a leucine dose. Where we still need to do more research on that, guys. I mean, th this is where we. 
we saw it be effective um, and we extrapolated from some animal data and, and we just felt like this was the, the optimized dose. We could do more data. Obviously, that is the plan. I wouldn't say taking – it gets back to the same idea. Like I wouldn't say taking six grams is ideal. What I would rather do is take the two grams multiple times a day. Uh, I think that makes a whole lot more sense. So I know Raza himself has been experimenting with uh, – he's put on a, a lot of muscle, actually. I think he can speak to that. But I know, Raza, you've been experimenting with post-workout and breakfast, kind of taking advantage of both. So I have. And, I have. and using the clear muscle, I believe, and creatine and protein. And okay, yeah, we should get into that second. And just so everyone knows, I'm not trying to push, like, all sorts of sales or anything. It's, it's just no, the question that comes to mind because I'm in America and more is better, you know, a lot of times. So it's just, like, kind of the, the natural question yeah. to think about for a crazy month, like pre-show, pre-competition or something like that, yeah. you know? I'm so thankful I'm not the only one that was thinking about taking this multiple times a day because that was my first thought process. Like, how do I get as many capsules as possible? I mean, take I it could like see probably taking it up to four times a day, but look, like what we saw with once a day is amazing. So I yeah. just have, we, I think we all have a tendency to overdo things as we look at like how they could be optimized. Like, yeah. I, you, you started talking about the refractory period. And I was just like, I just want to take this like before every meal, like just like, like kind of yeah. like supercharge each, each MPS uh, response, you know, like why yeah. not? But I also yeah. did this with Glucovantage in 2020 and lost like 30 pounds. Like I, 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 <laughs> I have a tendency to do these things with these ingredients, but it's exciting. It's really cool to see yeah. what you, you can do with these. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think um, just kind of building off what, what, what Sean said, and I think, you know, you know, Mike, to your point, right? Like I, and I'll admittedly, I've got access to, you know, any ingredient that I want in terms of, you know, how much I can try all these different combinations. Um, and, uh, you know, what I found was I, I was, you know, admittedly taking, you know, two, you know, four grams, but I was splitting it up and, and, and I was getting, I already started getting results um, with it. And I was doubling up certain days, but the, you know, the most impressive thing that I that I noticed, and of course it's N of one, but I, I do it because I want to assess, right? Also, like you know, there's there's the one thing, there's understanding the science, and then there's actually trying it and then comparing it to experience, you know, trying different other compounds and and how it feels. But the strength benefits are were really really interesting because it's one of those things, you know, when you when you get in the gym and, and you're doing you're doing an exercise, you're doing a lift. And all of a sudden you notice how much easier and like how much better your form is. And it's such a good feeling. And the only thing I could account for was, you know, was, was the peptide 185, right? Cause I was already doing the clear muscle. I was doing the creatine, right? You know, I always taking those and those are just the staples part of, part of the foundation. Um, you know, at this stage of my goals and what I'm trying to do, right. Hold on to as much muscle and strength, <laughs> but adding this was really kind of like the difference maker. And, um, that's why I'm really excited just to see what, you know, once it really gets out there. You know, the kind of results that people get. Now, one one question, this may be slightly unsavory, but what if I were just to say like, okay, screw it, I'm just going to go and just take a bunch of testosterone or like, you know, just get roided up or something. Will an ingredient like this have as much of an impact in those situations? Or are we targeting more like natty people like myself or trying to hang on to what we got? Well, I, I think yeah. Go ahead, John. If you want to start, and then I can. I, I, I obviously the the natty people like this. I don't want to like be hyperbolic, but it, it is a great like equalizer. You know, like yeah. I mean, that's where like again going back to and I, and I want to touch on this is like the idea of what this will do for those of us. I'm about to turn fifty, 
And I, you know, am looking down the barrel of leucine resistance and anabolic resistance and these kinds of things. Right. So, I mean, for me, someone that could take this dilucine, like it is a great equalizer versus someone who is, I mean, whether exogenous testosterone or endogenous, whether someone's young and 20 years old, like in our studies, I mean, they got incredible. Think about this. This is 23 year olds that are getting these results that are insane results. Think about if I gave this to 50 year olds that are dealing with sarcopenic obesity or 60 or 70. Think of the results we'd see. Like it's dramatic. So, you know, I, I think, yes, there'd be some results with, with someone taking high amounts of, of PEDs, including testosterone and, and, you know, other anabolics. But clearly, I think for those that are natural, this is like one legal and safe. And that's exciting. And if you take that, like the three things he was just mentioning, like something like creatine, clear muscle and and peptide one, eight to five. I mean, that's <laughs> like, you know, that that's that's going pretty far down the path of what's legal and safe and will actually get you results. Yeah. We have so a lot of. So, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just saying, yeah, we yeah, had, the other thing I'll add is like, you know, we, you know even if you are, you know, we're talking about, you know, taking, you know, additional, you know, testosterone on top of that, you still need amino acids, right? You still need protein. It's never going to take that away. So I think what it all comes down to is if you want to get the best results, you know, even at 1%, what do you want to take and what do you want to add to that? So I, I think, you know, there's obviously no matter where you are, I think there's a market, but to Sean's point, it is the great equalizer, but you still need something like this. And this is the newest tool that we have for the industry. Right, that's safe, compliant, and effective. Yeah, Roz, you kind of took what I wanted to, what I was kind of going to bring up. It was just, was a really great point. Is like we probably have a lot of viewers that are on you know medical levels of TRT, like not not a lot, mm -hmm. or we have some people who take like enclomiphene from uh, Maximus Tribe, and, and they are like you know not really natty anymore. But I think yeah. in, in my eyes. A lot of people look at these as like mutually exclusive. We had a lot of comments like just Jake Jess or whatever with, with Peptide 25. But in my eyes, like the like the uh, dietary pathway and the androgen pathway are kind of in their own ways. And even if you are on TRT, you still need amino acids. Like you said, this still can be beneficial for someone who might have, you know, super physiological testosterone levels from TRT. You still have to feed it the leucine. So yeah. I think it could be helpful. And I don't necessarily think that, you know, someone who's on TRT won't benefit from peptide 185 anyway. Sure. Yeah. It could be useful for a lot of people as well. Um, yeah. And I think that's one thing that like a lot of like quick bros in the gym think of like muscle builders or steroids as like exclusive on their own ways. But in this case, it's really a, like a, literally a dietary supplement and could help anyone. <laughs> so on the note of Sarasa, so you just said it's compliant on the note of compliance. Where, what is the, the current status? Because it is like within the Deshaya definitions, I assume it's amino acid kind of combination or whatever, but how do yeah, how how do we uh, most effectively get it to market without causing trouble? Because the FDA has kind of like you know spoke on out against quote unquote peptides. So even though this isn't that kind of peptide, you know, like where where are we at with all that? Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Do you want to start, Sean, and then I can layer yeah, in. Yeah, we we studied this. We made sure that it was compliant. Um, it's actually considered. Um, we went through a number of these agencies like Dicentra. 
we, we used a few of them that you would go through for grass, et cetera. So um, we looked at it and it's considered an amino acid at this level, like regulatorily. Um, and then we had to show that it occurs naturally in a hydrolyzed protein and highly hydrolyzed protein, basically anything. We showed it occurs in collagen. We showed that it occurs in whey protein. We, you know, that like, you know, at varying levels, of course. Um, but we showed that it occurs naturally in nature. Um, so it's 100% compliant, uh, able to be used in food and beverage. It's safe. We've looked at all that. Yeah. And, and that's part of the due diligence that we always do. Like when we're, we, I mean, of course we have complete confidence with, you know, with the, you know, Sean and the team over there, but, you know, from our end, you know, we'll ensure that all, everything's kind of checked, you know, in terms of a regulatory perspective, a safety perspective, and even from a regulatory perspective, very market specific, right? We won't just go and launch it everywhere. We will make sure it's kind of done right. And, and of course the team's done that. And, and then to, you know, to Sean's point about, you know, where it's, when it's, when it's found naturally, like it is, there's the first study has a really good chart where they actually show all the different, you know, so if anyone is interested, you can see like the dairy sources, the meat protein, um, whey, you'd have to take about 160 grams of whey protein, I think it is, to to hit the right amount yeah. of dialysis. So you still need, you know, it's a good reason to, to supplement with it. But, uh, you know, it's, it is interesting that it is, you know, naturally found. Okay, I good. Thank you. doing that barbecue every day, Mike, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not in you're see, you're in Texas. Here in Oklahoma, I will say it, I love it here in Oklahoma. Barbecue is nothing compared to Texas. So you're down there in Georgetown, you're a lot closer to the good stuff, Sean. I'm telling you, man. It's one thing I miss. So uh, so we kind of uh, alluded to it a little bit, but like it sounds like you guys have put together some pretty decent stacks. Obviously, like creatine is a foundation in terms of like if you're on a limited budget, I think that's that's a place to start for sure. Um, find some deals on on protein chicken, use price ball, all that. Most sex got you actually have some pretty good protein deals rocking on your side a lot too. Um, but so like yeah, what is the what is the stack, Raza? Stack. I, I think the ideal stack. You know, turning on the anabolic signaling, uh, peptide one eight five, get the the dilucine, um, and then for kind of. Essentially, just knowing that your protein is always, you know, muscles always turning over. So that's the turn on the signal for protein um, optimization. But to prevent that protein breakdown, you know, the clear muscle HMB free acid. So I, you know, I'm super proud of this. It's been on the market, you know, for more than more than 10 years. And it's specifically the HMB free acid version, which I think, you know, has is, is got the best science, the best results. And again, it comes back to the speed, it being a metabolite of leucine. So it mirrors really well with here. Right, giving the peptide of leucine and then giving the metabolite um, that's so effective at uh, turning off that signaling. And I think just you know combining those throughout the day um, will allow people to get into really that, you know, whether it's that 1%, that little bit of edge, but like for most of the people, and we've been selling it for years, people have been getting phenomenal results for it. So I highly recommend that stack. And then of course the creatine for the ATB performance and muscle. So I think that is the ideal. Um, and then the really interesting part of this, we've kind of gone a step further. So like, we're always thinking about the pipeline. Sean knows he's going to get a call from me and be like, Hey, what do we do next? How do we extend this exclusivity? And you know, where, where do we go from here? Um, but, uh, we, we have studied it with essential amino acids. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, we did fund a research and again, that's just part of what we do. We go and invest. We want to see, um, you know, how we can evolve, evolve the science and, and kind of keep giving back right to the industry and, and what's next. And, we combined it with an essential amino acid, and I'm telling you, I have never seen any results 
in terms of protein synthesis um, like this. Um, and what we were talking about, the, and there is an abstract publication that uh, you know you can find out there. Just an abstract for now. It will be you know the manuscript. It's going through the full manuscript process, so you know it's going to go through the full peer review process. But literally, muscle protein synthesis more than seven x. It was like unbelievable. And comparing it to uh, BCAs. Um, leucine, when we substituted, you know, that, uh, added two grams of dilucine in combination with all the other essentials. So it just, I think, you know, where this could go, how this could allow people to just basically respond to the training protocol that they already have, um, you know, to get past any plateaus. I think that is really interesting science. So super proud of that. And, uh, you know, you can see us kind of innovating in that front in the, in the near future. Okay, one one question on timing. When you mentioned clear muscle, the, the free acid HMB, are you are you just taking them at the same time as dilucine? Great question. No, I, I I am not. Um, so I, it kind of goes back to Ben what you're talking about the refractory period. Usually, what I'm doing is I'm taking that a few times throughout the day. Um, later on, so I'm usually taking this either first thing in the morning uh, or post workout, and then typically in between my meals, I'm taking the clear muscle HMB free acid. Gotcha. Okay, thanks. So, by the way, Mike, I want to throw in, uh, we were talking about this before the show, but we have a preclinical that, that Raza would, would love the data on, where we looked at dilucine with 50 other ingredients that are found in sports nutrition as ergogenic aids. So, think arginine, citrulline, ketones, tyrosine, taurine, go down the line, everything that we have at NNB, like and the number one synergist to have these rodents uh, have the, the greatest level of endurance and performance was paraxanthine with dilucine. Mm -hmm. So now, it's super interesting. And by the way, we are considering the idea of protein synthesis and the mTOR pathway with the brain. There could be some really interesting things going on there as well. Like we always hear about BDNF and NGF, but I feel like mTOR is, is kind of uh, just thought about with muscle. But there may be some cognitive effects that are really interesting with dilucine, and we need to explore that. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, people with higher protein diets, it's not just like muscle performance that's better. You know, it just seems like whole whole life, you know, quality of life, cognitive. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. Um, okay. So, so you're talking about performance. So like paraxanthines, that's not going to like increase muscle protein synthesis as much, but you're, are you talking more like the, like in a rodent study, they're going to be on the, the hamster wheel longer or something like that? Or is it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. But, uh, I think there's a number of ways that they could actually work very well together. So, I mean, you're, you're showing increased nitric oxide to the brain with paraxanthine, mm. but also to the muscles. And there's that kind of mind-muscle connection. There's, I think we're going to have greater fiber recruitment with that uh, central nervous system stimulant uh, effect. But we're also getting more acetylcholine. And um, there's, so much, there's like oxidative uh, stress reduction. We see glutathione and catalase affected with paraxanthine. So... There's a lot of ways that um, they could be synergizing. We don't know all the ways that that's happening, but definitely really interesting. So this makes the euphoric stack is one more thing that you can mm -hmm. throw in 
but it's it's fascinating and and truly it's like um, it was completely unplanned and like just serendipitous. That's hilarious. So uh, yeah, I, I, everyone can go back to episode 72 to kind of talk about the, the, the beginnings of paraxanthine, but, um, Raza, can you kind of, can you kind of catch, catch us up? Like how has the, how has muscle technation kind of responded to euphoric from, from your perspective? Do you see a lot of people like, um, just hanging on with it? Or do you see people like starting to ask for higher caffeine afterwards or like wh- what's been kind of the, the general experience? And then, uh, yeah, just go on with whatever else you've kind of learned from that. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's been really interesting. I think overall the results have been, it's been really well received. You know, that, that I'll say, I'll, you know, I'm, Really proud that we were able to kind of get it to market first, get it in people's hands because I was, you know, I was super passionate about it, you know, a big firm believer in what it could, what it could offer, just knowing how it could benefit. But, you know, I did realize there was going to be a little bit of an uphill battle because everybody likes their stims, right? And, you know, we, we did need to get over that. And I think where we've gotten is sort of a place where, you know, the people that have taken it and I mean, love it. Like the people that are really like, it's like, they love it. And then there's a sub second group that are looking for alternatives, something that they could train at night. I get a lot of really good feedback. It's like, I want something to take later on. That's not crazy STEM, but I still want to get that, that benefit. And because of that, the way the parasanthine, the half-life is, you know, that shorter half-life, it's sort of like that four hours, but it's just like super clean and hits you quick. People like it for that. And then they notice the performance benefits. So I, I think there is interesting stuff that we're seeing. It's like the people who, who have embraced it, love it, and they don't want to come off it. And those that were kind of hesitant, it's starting to find its place. Yeah, we actually, we did a study in Brazil and unfortunately it was about two thirds of the way through and it ended up, um, shutting down just because of some political reasons that are really frustrating. And by the way, that happened on a number of studies through COVID as well. I can't even tell you how much money has been put into things and studies have not finished. And it's super frustrating. Um, But the data that we've seen, I can tell you at least anecdotally from probably over 100 people. I mean, people hit me up daily about uh, paraxanthine on my Instagram. I get screenshots all the time of aura rings and HRVs are not just, you know, HRVs are worsened with caffeine, just like alcohol, especially late in the day. With paraxanthine, we're seeing it improve above baseline. We have an e-gaming study coming out that, man, this year is going to be incredible, where it actually shows, we, we pulled some early results, but it shows with continued use that there's better and better and better effects with obviously with caffeine we see that adaptation effect where it's worse and worse and worse over time so this is super interesting and this is where like uh, i think a lot of people think of it as a cleaner caffeine like yes it doesn't have the side effects especially if you're a slow metabolizer but we're seeing all these benefits that we just simply don't see with caffeine Namely, like nitric oxide, like via PDE9 inhibition, we see a 50% increase in nitric oxide. We don't see that with caffeine. This BDNF effect, the glutathione catalase effect, like, uh, I mean, some of the stuff we're seeing is, is really incredible. Almost every way I can think of the way the brain ages, um, including like beta amyloid plaque, we saw this preclinical, we saw a reduction in that. 
in the preclinical, I like this is this is the most insane results. And again, kind of like with parazanthine, if we were to look at like older populations, oh my god, I think we'd see like incredible, insane results. When we looked at older rats in this one study where we had like a black pool of water, right? And there's a ledge in that pool and it's escape latency. They have to like find where that that ledge is. So this is just mind boggling that without parazanthine, it took about 60 seconds for them to find that ledge. With parazanthine at the full dose, it took 23 seconds for them to find that ledge. Cool. That number like should just like blow your mind. Like that is an insane number. So like these two ingredients are so great. If you're a young strapping guy, like in all these studies, that's 23 years old or a college trained male. But if you're my age, these ingredients are going to work way better. Now I don't have the data yet, but I can simply tell you that the feedback I'm getting on both of them, the science is there. Like I'm very excited to look at both of these ingredients in an elderly or aged population, aged being even a good looking guy like myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, we do appreciate it's kind of funny because like, you know, I'm over the hill as well. And so we appreciate in the industry that you're actually taking getting data on young 23 year old men because like we know the data is going to look worse if you do that. So like back in the day, we used to like, you know, we used to tease about ingredients that were studied on 60 year old and plus people. And, you know, the data is most likely going to look good on a various number of ingredients. We'd want younger data. So you have to like almost take this this leap of like faith, this business leap too. like if you're going to put money into a study on 23 year olds, it better be pretty good. And then we could just extrapolate out for us older guys that it's going to be likely even better than yeah. what they saw. So I do appreciate you doing that because, I, you know, after all, like you could have made the numbers look bigger and the, the charts look, you know, way crazier. Mm -hmm. Can I ask, uh, so you're talking about these incredible benefits for parazanthine and I, I absolutely believe you. I, I love a lover of the ingredient, but I'm mm -hmm. also a lover of caffeine. Um, and so I guess my question for you, this is all theoretical, but do you believe that the other two metabolites of caffeine are just that negative, that the parazanthine benefits are probably there as well, but we have such a negative force against them with theophylline and theobromine that we're not seeing the benefits that you're possibly getting from parazanthine? Yes, and um, I think it's not just that. Like we've seen some issues with 3MX, which is downstream that's in present in both of those. Um, we've also seen, yes, definitely theophylline, tons of side effects, but not to be missed in that discussion is caffeine itself. Um, which yes, maybe for you, maybe you process it well, you're a fast metabolizer. Look, there, there's like, I feel like there's a, if we've shown that about 60% of the population is an, is, a, a slow metabolizer. And my guess is kind of there's fast metabolizers that can have caffeine and go straight to bed. So maybe like this Goldilocks zone of people that take caffeine, have limited side effects and get great benefits is probably a 20% window. Maybe you're that, man. And that's amazing. Um, and maybe you metabolize these other metabolites that could be, you know, problematic better than others. It's not just CYP1A2. There's there's a number of cytochrome P450 enzymes in this kind of pathway 
as you keep going downstream, getting all the way to xanthine or methyl uracils and uracil. So it's actually pretty complicated. I don't have all the answers to that because no one ever looked at it. Like, so that's where we're kind of like breaking new ground. Um, yeah, I was, but absolutely. I, I think you're you're blessed with your metabolism. I definitely am not in that group. I, I, I didn't want to focus too much on the good metabolizers there in terms of like, you know, I, I must have it nice. I, I, I do like I do enjoy caffeine and everything. But I also it's not lost on me that like all of the benefits of caffeine are not just the stimulation that you get. I, I understand there are other benefits. And so I guess it always kind of leads me to question like when paraxanthine gives me all these benefits. I'm sure I'm getting those benefits as well, even though I metabolize caffeine just fine. It, I, I, there still is a lot of reasons I would use paraxanthine, namely these these benefits we're talking about here. And it just makes me wonder, like, are, are caffeine users missing out on these because of the other things involved? Or, you know, is or is it likely that Ben is getting some of those benefits because I metabolize the theophylline and theobromine? I think what I'm understanding, though, is that we definitely need more data comparing the two to really understand why the benefits are occurring. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, one thing I just want to add, just like just here, you know, just even hearing you out, Ben, and just you know, talking about um, you know the benefits of caffeine, typically being at those higher doses. Like if you look at them, they're pretty high to get the performance benefits. Mm -hmm. And you know what we see is a trend mm -hmm. towards yeah, you know some people love having that dose, but there is definitely a market trend that we're seeing that people wanting lower doses mm -hmm. of caffeine. And if you think about that for a second, you know with you know, paraxanthine is particular, like the dose that we're recommending in like euphoric and our excuse, where you're getting up to the 300 milligrams. You have to take north of 400 milligrams of caffeine for your body to metabolize that and convert that into that dose of paraxanthine that provides that efficacy. So I think, you know, one of the things that we're seeing by going direct to the source and taking a substantial dose, an efficacious dose, that you are getting these better results. And I think that's also some of the reasons why the people that do try it and try it at the right dose are loving it. Um, and, uh, I, I think that's another interesting point because as you start to go lower doses on caffeine to eliminate theophylline, which I do agree, it's like, there are negative effects. It's, you know, it's, it's out there in the literature that theophylline in particular is really, really negative and it sits in the bloodstream for a long time, which is, you know, causes all the downsides. So if you can bypass that and get more of the efficacy, it just, people have come associated with those, some of those effects mm -hmm. and how they yeah. feel that dirtiness to some degree that, you know, they don't consider that dirty, but it just... It's how they assess efficacy. In, in, in well, theophylline has an insane half-life. It's like in the seven hours on average. But I mean, going back to the bioindividuality of caffeine, knowing there's a one and a half to ten and a half hour range, that's just a massive range in how we experience this molecule very, very differently person to person. Mm -hmm. um, and, and really, as we were talking about dilucine, which we can go back to, is – that is pharmacokinetics, right? That's what's causing that. Same here. Like the different, yes, there's a 70 to 80% conversion from caffeine to paraxanthine. But for me, with a 10 and a half hour half life, if that's what I am, wow, that could take days for me to get to yeah. like the full amount of paraxanthine. So, you know, to, and, and also, as I was pointing out, we're clearing out this pathway of these things that may not be advantageous for us, the 3MX, the, you know, theophylline, theobromine, the caffeine, and, and some other downstream metabolites to just be at paraxanthine where we get this clean experience and get it all at once. 
It's kind of funny, like we've been covering high STEM pre-workouts for so long that I think we've almost created our own, an audience of people that are going to like it. Because if you are like a very slow metabolizer and caffeine wrecks you, there's a decent chance you're not going to want to watch price ball content that much because it's like, what, at least 25% pre-workout based. I almost feel like we've kind of created this demographic that isn't 100% um, the entire like user base that is potential out there. So because you mentioned like 60% uh, being possibly the on the slower end of things. I'm like, well, not not our audience because our audience loves <laughs> pre-workout, but we've kind of created that audience. So is it, but Sean, is it like, is it that many people that are slow metabolizers yeah. do have the number 50, breakdown? 59%, yep. Oh, man. And 93% of the population in the U.S. consumes caffeine every day, but nine out of 10 in a study wanted to consume less. So think about that dissonance of that decision. Mm -hmm. Right. There's real dissonance. And and I could get into psychology because I'm very (laughs) spiritual and conscious since I've done my plant medicine work. But to be not aligned with like who you want to be and making a daily decision. Ninety three percent are consuming caffeine every day. Ninety three percent may not consume food every day. Ninety three percent may not go to the bathroom or take a shower every day. Ninety three percent. And for nine out of ten of them to want to consume less, that tells me that there's like a real addiction and a dissonance there, right? And how does that play out in your life? I really, I I enjoy what you're saying there. And I I always try to point that out. Um, It's a really easy way to get people to be interested because it's absolutely true. I know 93% of my friends consume caffeine every single day, but an extremely high percent of them will fall like up like, yeah, I drink caffeine, but I wish I drank less. Like even everyone, <laughs> even like people who love the feeling, love the you know the, whatever it is the taste, the benefits, whatever it is, most of them will bring up. But I wish that I consumed less. Well, for whatever reason, I think there's a lot of reasons too. I, it, it it isn't just how it makes it feel, but there's also just an inherent understanding. That like I'm not doing the best thing for my body as well, which is just what we've taught people as well. But uh, I think that. Over like the macro of the of the industry, we have seen a, a lowering of of doses though in the last couple of years. We used to talk about six hundred milligram doses, and we really haven't talked about that in a while. At this point, if we talk about four hundred milligrams, I'll usually note that's a little bit higher yeah. than mm-hmm. you know. I, I mean, and even like behind the scenes, when Mike and I are working with companies, most often we're talking about three hundred milligrams ish now, whereas previously it was much higher. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah, a lot of companies that are doing that stuff are probably not coming to us, but, but it is funny Like you can't deny the data, like five milligrams per kilogram to nine milligrams per kilogram of caffeine is where the sweet spot is on like strength and performance. So I don't know, like, yeah, I I don't think it's, I don't think you want to be living in that that range. If you, if you delineate that data out with fast and slow metabolizers, we actually see a negative effect on cognitive and physical performance with the slow metabolizers. Mm -hmm. And we see a benefit with the fast metabolizers. That's why some studies actually show some like equivocal results. If you were to actually tease that out. So like I would have worse results, Ben would have better results. Right. Um, You know, I mean, that's basically how it comes out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why we have uh, euphoric with infinity inside. So, <laughs> I, well, I, I literally spent like when I when I think about you know in you know infinity Paris Anthony, like I spent like probably like fifteen years of my career, you know, 
trying to find ways to how I could smooth the caffeine experience out. Super high doses. This is before paraxanthine. Like literally, like all the time, I was in the lab here with the team, and we and we were assessing it. Uh, you know, whether it was theanine back in like 2010, and all the other various ingredients. How do you get to the most of it? But now, you know, to you know what Sean just mentioned. Now that we're seeing, and this was presented at ISSN as well, that uh, they are now teasing out the differences between when you start to look at the dose needed among responders and non-responders. And I think once we start to understand more of that, like people are just going to get, it's going to lead to better efficacy. Mm-hmm. You know, ultimately mm-hmm. when you find the sweet spot and you, know, you, can, you can get rid of those, basically eliminate those genetic differences. So Sean, right. what if we find out that like you can get really good performance with 600 milligrams of infinity paraxanthine. Are you still not going to, you are pretty set on 300 milligrams per serving, 400 milligrams max per day, right? Uh, you're putting me on the spot and Raz is like, okay, what? <laughs> um, so this is where we're at just currently. I think, look guys, this is an ingredient to, to back up to the numbers I just said. There's two ingredients in human history that have moved us that are in our zeitgeist that are woven into humanity and is alcohol, ethanol and caffeine. There's no two more important ingredients than that. So we know how important it is. We also know what's happened to DMAA, to ephedrine, to all these other ingredients. And we're trying to do this the right way and think about this because caffeine is a $1 trillion market. And so we want this ingredient to be around. We want it to be, we know it's safe, but we also want it to be perceived as safe. We don't want it ending up in 600 milligram things. And people, look, when you stack it with other methylxanthines, you can have serious side effects, right? So we just don't want those situations. And like we want people to understand what it is and how to use it for it to become zeitgeist, you know, over a period of time before we just kind of throw it out there and then someone's drinking like a fifth of alcohol with it. Someone's, you know, drinking a quad espresso, a bang and this with it. And we get thrown under the bus and that ingredient's gone, period. So we're trying to take the, yes, could we get more sales? Could we get even higher effects? Yeah. But, and I know people have told me what they've been taking, (laughs) Uh, but I'm going to stick with this for now. And, and by the way, on our grass, we were given 400 milligrams because they said, well, this is where caffeine is. So this is where you'll be for now, even though we're much safer, like radically safer. They just kind of said, okay, this is your, this is your dose a day. That makes sense. You don't want to ruin it for everyone just because a few guys want to bench press more or something with that with a heroic dose. It's not at all, of course, not worth it. Well, thank but you for the good answer. Yeah. Go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so did we miss anything on dilute? So yeah, we kind of veered off yes, into yes, infinity yes. land and everything. Did we miss anything on dilucine? There are some staggering numbers from the training study uh, that are just mind boggling. Uh, Raz, if you, if you want to talk... But like the the leg press numbers, oh my god! Like yeah, did, it did seem did. that some of the the bullet points in there, some of these people, I don't know if you could tease them out. Some people responded like insanely well, is what it looked like. True. Yeah, there's absolutely hyper responders, and and why that is again is super interesting. Um, there's a lot to look at there. Um, it's it's always fascinating to try and understand why there's hyper responders. Um, fascinating because there's a huge no matter how much we do placebo effect there are people that just 
are more driven, like more belief based. Like I'm going to like maximize like my results out of this study. And man, the power of just belief and drive is, is cannot be underestimated. I mean, if you follow like Bruce Lipton, Dr. Joe Dispenza, some of these guys, like that kind of data is staggering. So, um, I, I do believe in that kind of stuff too, but I, I, there can be physiologic reasons as well, different just genetics. Um, but it's fascinating, but we did see 16 more, like 16 reps, like, uh, on the, the leg press versus five with the, the plus, uh, five of the leucine, sorry. So dilucine 16 reps, um, leucine was five reps. So like a staggering difference, like it's just, some of the numbers are mind boggling. And again, these are like, you know, 20 year olds. Mm-hmm. So we're not looking at like people like my age or, or even your age, Mike. So this is, uh, and then we're not stacking it with HMB. We're not saying like they weren't, they weren't certainly using any PEDs. They were like, their diet was controlled. They were on the same amount of protein. They weren't allowed to have alcohol, caffeine, um, you know, any other type of things. Like, so it's just, that was c- controlled across the board and these, these were the results like after 10 weeks. So Sean, w- way earlier on, you had mentioned, I- I'll be honest, I never really heard this phrase, leucine resistance. Of course I've heard insulin resistance, everything like, is that, is that a real medical thing and everything that yeah. I haven't yeah. just haven't seen? Can you? Yeah. Sometimes it's also called anabolic resistance. Um, okay. but it's been attached to leucine resistance where like you can have the bolus of leucine or the bolus of protein that contains enough leucine, but you're not optimizing muscle protein synthesis. And so one of my theories around this, because I had worked for 10 years as a chief clinical dietitian as well, is like the more um, kind of in a net negative nitrogen state you are, like think of again, being older, having lower androgens, insulin resistance, or like when I was dealing with people that had infections or burns or wounds, now like the leucine needs aren't like two to three and a half grams. It's five grams, seven grams, eight grams, nine grams, right? And what's the likelihood that they're going to get that quickly enough as a bolus to heal those wounds or to heal that, you know, this trauma? And so, yeah, that's like a leucine resistance that we see uh, because the, the nitrogen needs are so high. Um, so it's really, really interesting that unfortunately, as we age and we tend to eat less protein, we tend to have less of a bolus of protein. So even the, the amount and the, and the timing of it, that we actually need more than when we were young. So this is like... You know, this is a real problem. This is why we get the sarcopenic obesity, where we're trading off muscle tissues as we age. Someone may be 180 pounds when they're 40 and then 180 pounds when they're 70. But that body composition difference is very different because the the sarcopenia part is the muscle loss and they're trading it off for fat gain because they're never optimizing muscle protein synthesis. So this is where like, you know, TRT and, you know, insulin sensitivity agents like a metformin, berberine, dihydroberberine, all these things like that, you know, could potentially bridge that gap, maybe growth hormone and some of these things that are going down, declining as well. It could be interesting. But yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously HMB, of course, in this case, 
HMB, creatine, and and dilucine could be a massive game changer in this protocol, maybe even dihydroberberine. Raza, can you just put it all in one tub for us so we just have to take one scoop? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, just, I'll send it over. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm um, giving you a product idea. You, we're, you know, we're cooking up. We're cooking <laughs> up. That is a good idea. No, we, we've been cooking up a lot a lot of great ideas. Um, but, you know, like as, as I was like just listening listen to Sean and just thinking about like that's the, you know, that's the really cool part about our industry. You know, the stuff that we're doing, you know, all, you know the trends start in, in sports nutrition, but they have a huge impact. Well, you know, not just among 20, 30 year olds, um, yeah. like literally, like I think of my family, I think of my friends and I'm always telling them, you know, you need to protect that muscle as much as you can. And especially where the industry is going right now. And you see, uh, you know, a lot of people talking about, you know, the, the obesity and weight loss drugs out there. Right. And, and that trend and that just compounds the effect of people losing muscle in many ways. Yeah, you're losing exactly. weight, but after that's muscle, you know, what else are you taking? And that's where literally like the solutions that we're talking about, you know, the, the, the dilucine and the HMB for acid and the creatine, I, I think they're like things that are almost foundational stuff. And, and I get, you know, it's expensive to take all three, but if you, if you do have the luxury of you are thinking about, I absolutely would be considering them for those reasons, because I mean, that. You know, you know, not just when you're young, you know, build the strength when you're young, but as you get older, that vitality and that quality of life is dependent on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's a great point. And I meant to actually bring that up on this show is the, the GLP-1 agonist being so heavily used um, and, and the discussion around muscle, like clearly this would be a good stack to add. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to add that. Right when when you started talking about the the muscle loss during weight loss and everything, that of course brings up GLP one agonists, Ozempic, and all those. Um, yeah, I, I, we probably got to like you know be safe there, but I, I'll. I'm not selling the supplement myself. I would say that it, it would make sense to put this in an Ozempic type stack just to try to do whatever you can to protect muscle if you are going to use those drugs, which I haven't ever touched. So, but yeah, it does. It would make sense at least try. Something. Well, along those lines, berberine's been shown to be a GLP-1 agonist and, and mm-hmm. help in, in similar ways. So if you're taking those, which I recommend as a great anti-aging aid, aid and, uh, and, and improving body composition, but clearly that would be a good stack to have all of these with that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm fresh out of questions here. We've uh, we've gone over an hour. I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about everything and um, excited to see Muscle Tech bring yet another novel ingredient to the market. Like this is this is becoming a thing, and I think we we expect it from you at this point, Raza. So you, this can't be the last. It's our job's never done. Just just you get get ready. More to come from the team over here. Excellent. Yeah. Any other uh, closing remarks or comments? No, we're, we're excited to continue working with muscle tech and, and be essentially like a kind of intertwined arm of, of each other. Like I'm, I'm very happy to have worked with Raza on Perizanthine infinity, as well as the, uh, dilucine. It's been, it's been great. And we have more things in the pipeline, uh, for, for the industry and certainly for muscle tech as well. It's, uh, they've been an incredible partner as have, you guys so thank you for you know the work you've done with nnb with tsi with muscle tech with you know all the things i've been associated with i'm just very glad that uh, i can work with you guys you guys put out such great information Uh, i think you're such great advocates for the industry ben i've i've loved what you've been talking about like you know really uh 
trumping the uh, the now foods studies and and all the the dirty players in the industry because as a formulator that stuff frustrates the hell out of me so i'm just so thankful that that you guys are out there and doing what you're doing Thank you. And we're thankful that you guys are putting out stuff that makes this interesting 15 years in that we can keep talking about new stuff. Couldn't, couldn't be doing this kind of content like 15 years ago. So that's, uh, that's because of guys like you. So thanks again. All right. Thank you. Huge. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks very much.